Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. along he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collection station and he said to them follow me and he got up and he followed him and as he sat at dinner at in his house many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with Jesus and his disciples when the Pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners but when he heard this he said those who are well have no need for a physician But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So of half dozen or so films that turned Walt Disney in the public's mind from father of like Mickey Mouse to creator of the animated fairy tale feature, thereby making his work, Walt Disney's work, kind of in the imaginative life of almost every American child, a staple. Of those half dozen or so films, Pinocchio feels like an odd standout. Many people say it is their absolute least favorite Disney classic of all time. It is surely the most frightening of all time. Go to anyone you know who was in maybe grammar school in the 1940s or 1950s. That would be, um, that's like a decade before my dad was born um, or or the decade my dad was born. If you know anybody in that world, um, what was the Disney movie that scared the bejesus out of them as kids? It was... It was not Snow White and the Seven Drawers. That was, that was like 1937, where the evil queen falls off a cliff to her death. Or Dumbo of 1941, where the baby elephant has to, has to watch his mother get whipped and chained howling for her child. Or what about Bambi, where the fawn's mother is shot to death a few feet away from him? You can't beat that. (laughs) But for some reason, Pinocchio does. 
And the answer lies not in any one scene, but rather in the movie's overall bleakness. One artist reproduces what he calls an atmospheric sketch for Pinocchio, showing the puppet locked in a cage just after he has been kidnapped by an itinerant puppeteer. Other marionettes hang from the ceiling on strings around him as if they've been lynched. And Pinocchio alone seems to be alive, but he stares straight ahead, like emotionless, expressionless. And at first glance, he looks very serene, but then you inspect the drawing more closely and, and realize that the reason his face is completely blank is that he is numb with, with fear, like someone in a horror movie. Danger and death surround this small creature throughout, throughout the film, and 76 of the 1940s Pinocchio's 88 minutes, 76 of them, 86% of the film take place at night or underwater. But if you find the film so unsettling, you might want to avoid the novel altogether. The 1883 novel it was based on, Carlo Collodi's Adventures of Pinocchio, begins with a lethal weapon under the blows of an ax the pine log that will become Pinocchio. The pine log cries out, ouch, you're hurting me. Soon afterward, the, the woodworker Geppetto starts fashioning the log into this puppet, which he calls Pinocchio, Pino in Italian, meaning pine, and Occhio, meaning eye, one of the first parts of, of Pinocchio that, that P Geppetto liberates from this log, his eye. And next comes the nose, right? The nose comes next, which the... The moment Geppetto has finished it starts to grow to an enormous length. Geppetto tries to prune it back as he's, as he's carving, but the more he cuts and shortens it, the longer the, the nose becomes. And this nose is, of course, will become Pinocchio's trademark. His trademark feature and the combined comedy and cruelty that attend its birth can be said to stand for Collodi's novel as a whole. Geppetto, Geppetto, Pinocchio's maker, gets Geppetto, has Geppetto finally by cutting away at him, by cutting away at him. And for most of the remainder of the tale, Pinocchio then returns this by cutting back at Geppetto his maker mocking him and running away from him. It's not an even trade, though, in Collodi's novel. For all Pinocchio's naughtiness, he also suffers terribly. Early on, at home alone, he lies back in a chair, propping up his feet against the room's brazier, and he then falls asleep, and as, as a result, his feet are burned off. And then Geppetto returns home and he bursts into tears and he lifts the puppet to his breast and Pinocchio hangs on for dear life and he can no longer stand up and his legs are smoking stumps and the drawing of this scene in the novel's first, first edition is even, it's even hard to look at as adults. Geppetto is creating Pinocchio in hopes that the puppet, the puppet will perform in public to support him in his old age, for Geppetto is very poor in this book. 
But when, when Pinocchio, not, not long after his creation, is on his way to school, he discovers that a puppet show has come to town, which sounds a whole lot more interesting than school does, and he can't resist the temptation after all, and he lacks a conscience. And veterans of the Dizzy version, of course, know what happens next. Pinocchio's conscience is outsourced to that famous cricket. But not so fast, because in Collodi's novel, Pinocchio responds by killing the cricket throwing a mallet at him and smashing his guts against the wall because the creature tells him he should go to school. And so the 1940s Pinocchio's dark side, the, the first, the fact that you know 86% of it is dark and underwater, it reflects some of this, the novel's original cruelty. But Disney really, as they do with so many things, completely transforms the story like Pinocchio's desire to be a real boy, for instance. It is so central to the story that we know, the desire to be a real boy, even if we're, we've never even seen the movie at all. We know that line, for it's taken on a size of its own in our world, for how significant it is to Disney's version, the book barely even gives a nod to it. The same is true of Pinocchio's long nose, and its habit of growing when he tells a lie, a trait so famous that it's now part of our, our culture's iconography. There's even a long nose emoji now that you can use when, when you want to refer to lying, and the Washington Post fact checker logs the deception of politicians' speeches on a scale of two Pinocchios, or three Pinocchios, or four. And Collodi's original Pinocchio certainly tells a lot of lies, but his nose often grows when he hasn't lied at all, and, and he often lies without his nose growing at all. My, how, how Disney transformed that story and etched it into our cultural memory, seldom has a work of literature been so overshadowed by its cinematic adaptation. So much so that when, when John Hooper of Penguin Classics produces this new translation of this book, finally, later in, in the 20th century, he does so with the purpose of rescuing Pinocchio. In, a, in an introduction to the translated tale, he writes, we want people to see Collodi's work, not just as a children's story, but as part of the corpus of 19th century novels of social denunciation, where this puppet hero becomes for Italy what Don Quixote is for Spain, one of those rare fictional characters in whom the entire people seem to be able to make out their own reflection. Perhaps this story has been remade in our likeness precisely because we, made in God's likeness, catch a glimpse of our reflection in it. Because no sooner is Pinocchio fashioned, not manufactured, not, not manufactured, but rather chiseled and creatively made, one of a kind. No sooner is Pinocchio born of the creator that he seeks to establish then his own independence from his creator, Geppetto, who has wished him to be. Perhaps it is this nod at the, the creative God who pined and wished and breathed us to be, the divine clockmaker and timekeeper with his array of cuckoo clocks. Perhaps this is why so many cinematic attempts have been made at this story, which 
many of which are, are disguised under other names even, from a TV series to a, a Spielberg film to a sci-fi film to a neo-realist neo version of this in 2019, and weirdly enough, even a pornographic version of it. Apparently, I found out that this week. When you, when you, when you Google, you gotta work out. Watch out. All the way up to 2022, where because of COVID-19, there are presumably three Pinocchios coming out this fall, a live action version with, with Tom Hanks, an animated musical under the direction of Guillermo del Toro, and even one starring Robert Downing Jr. Um, is coming out this year. And, and why? Because we get a glimpse of our maker, the one who wished us to be, and a reflection of ourselves as well. Lily, would you mind cutting the lights and take a look at this? Star, land, star, bright, a star I see tonight. I wish, I, I wish, something too. And now that you can talk. Hello, Pops.
It's me, Pinocchio. You talk. Yeah, and I can walk. How? How, how can you walk? How can you talk? The Blue Fairy. She said you made a wish. Blue Fairy. The Blue Fairy. I, I did make a wish. I wish. I wish that my. I know. A real boy. But guess what? I'm almost a real boy, and I can become one. All I have to do is uh, a bunch of stuff. I'm almost a real boy. I'm almost a real boy. After holding Pinocchio up, taking a good look at him and realizing you are nearly perfect, Disney writes this wonderful new line for Geppetto after it, and I could not find a clip of it. <laughs> Geppetto says, we can be a family. At the heart of Pinocchio is the creator who longs for relationship and a creature who is made for imitation. Did you hear him repeating over and over again? Made for imitation and for connection. Made to be incorporated into a new family with this God who wishes and longs and pines for us to be and for us to love him. Pinocchio is the story of connection and disconnection, which is really just a nod at an older story, a story that begins in the book of Genesis, right? A version of which we, we spoke together in our call to worship today. In the beginning, the story goes, everything was in full unity, fully connected. It's that first opening scene in the movie when the credits are still rolling and the music is still upbeat and everything is as it should be. And the story goes, God wished us to be. God wished us to be for no other reason but that God could love us and, and we could love God and that we could be a part of God's family, God's story. But you and I, we rebelled against God's love and we went against the will of God. And from that point on, it's just been this, this dark comedy of errors. And by the time of the third chapter, right in time with, with Pinocchio's story, our, our sentence is now disconnection. And by the end of the third chapter, right in time, Pinocchio joins the, the puppet show thinking that, that this is what God wants for him. This is what his father wants. And we eat the fruit and we're kicked out of paradise and things aren't exactly as they should be. And we find ourselves in this winding road of living disconnected from God, trapped in cages of our own doing, bound by strings. God had loosed already on us. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of Pinocchio is just this long story of the creator trying to reconnect with, with his creator, with his creation. And this story, like Collodi's Pinocchio, is not really, it's not really a children's movie. It's not animated and family-friendly at all. It's twisted, and it is R-rated, and it's, it's morbid, the story that we're a part of. Of course, we've got some, some children's stories in it and pictures and songs about Noah's Ark, but this is for adults only, this story. It's a story of a creative God who made the, the world and held it up and pronounced it good. Oh, look, look at you. Very good, fully connected. But as the story goes on, the living God saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil through and through, it says, and we created. We created to be creatures 
And the, and, and the creator's, creator's world began to act like, like creators of ourselves, gods unto ourselves. And we got God's wish for us all distorted and we forgot why we were created in the first place. And so the rain falls, right? And the waters rise and the waves beat against the boat for 40 days and 40 nights. This is why we actually read that story in Lent every year, our 40 days of honesty, because it's the season where we confront our sin and, and our guilt, all the ways we, we have lived independent of our creator. And then the rain stops and the waters reside and it's, it's like all of heaven and all of earth, angels now have their popcorn in hand and they're watching the scene on the edge of their chair waiting to see are they going to get back together? God longs and pines and wishes us to be in the rest of the story. We, we watch with bated breath on the edge of our seats, hanging on this question, this question that in itself hangs in the balance. Will God's wish come true? Sometimes we, we found ourselves in the right place, but, but our hearts weren't right. Like when, when we followed God's commands, Watch God provide, making our way through the promised land when everything God promised had come to pass. But, but we even in that place, we erect idols and we become dissatisfied with manna and God's messengers like Jimmy aren't enough for us. Again, sometimes we find ourselves in the right place, but our hearts aren't right. Like, like the stories of when we would go to the temple, maybe, and make our gifts with pomp and circumstance before God in the right place, but our hearts aren't right. And then sometimes we're not in the right place at all, but our hearts are exactly where they should be, like the Psalms of David, um, you know, saying that he yearns for God, but he can't find God. Where, wherever God is, David can't find him. David's heart is right. Job's heart is right. But they, they seem to always be in the wrong place. All of scripture is this like grand cultural icon of cinematic significance and a God wishing us into being and pining after us and waiting for us to reconnect to this God. And all of heaven and earth, angels have their popcorn in hand and they're watching, eating their popcorn. What exactly was God's wish that faithful night? And will God's wish even come true? Which brings us to our scripture today. In the midst of the Bible's cinematic moments, this this one's, this, this story is quite ordinary. Shortly after Jesus performs the, the grand miracle that was made for the movies, healing a paralyzed man and awing the crowds with God-sized authority, Jesus sees Matthew. And he smiles when he sees Matthew. And Jesus gets that, that Disney kind of sparkle in his eye as he, with, with the cosmic mind of God, the Father, sees who Matthew was created to be. How God, many years ago, before the burden of growing up, of becoming a real boy with a real job, before the burden of the tax industry, before getting caught up all in Caesar's game, making money off the backs of his own people, in his mind's eye, Jesus can see who Matthew was created to be. And seeing Matthew, Jesus shares God's wish for him that you would follow me, that you would imitate me, that you would love me that you would come fully alive and, and that you would be my family and live out the goodness of connection and communion with God. And Matthew, jaded by, by adulthood and by its, all its burdens, has lost the ability to sense the magic and the magnitude of God's wish for him. But Matthew agrees to follow and freed, freed of his strings to reconnect with the God who, who, who sees him in Jesus. 
As you know, Matthew ends up becoming quite a significant part of the story, right? Matthew is one of the 12. Our scripture today says Jesus even dines at his house. And when he does, onlookers can't understand how God's wish could possibly be for him to. Why does your, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He's, he's, not, a, he's not a puppet for God. He's, he's a puppet for Caesar's kingdom. And this is the moment when Jesus lets us in on God's wish all along. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have got it all kinds of wrong. Somehow you, you've been convinced that God's wish for you is to attach you to God's strings and dance and prance you about through this life like a puppet. Like Collodi's Pinocchio created to pad the pockets of his, of his father. No, my wish isn't that you be forced into subservience, giving up all your own passions and desires to serve and follow me like some manufactured toy rolling off a conveyor belt. No, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Other translations put it like this, I desire compassion, not control. My wish is that you would love me and that you would that love would flow out of having come fully alive. That that love would flow out of coming fully alive, no strings attached, choosing to be a part of this family, not because I desire to control you, but because I love you. Because I love you and have called you to love others and have invited you to be a part of this family. I've not come to call the righteous. I call sinners. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire compassion, not control. I have called you to drop your strings and come fully alive. This is God's wish. And I tell you, in all of heaven and all earth, angels have their popcorn in hand. And they're watching the screen on the edge of their chair. Will God's wish come true? Will you reconnect? Will you come fully alive? Would you pray with me? Geppetto God, who, who forms us, who spends loving time on us, who made us by chiseling with this creative, knowing that, this creative spirit, knowing that we would be each so different from the other. God, we, we, we come to you as people who have forsaken your wish for us, as people who often forget that we are free free for you. Not just free. Not bound either, but not just free, but free for you, God. That's what, that's what discipleship looks like. That's what it means here at Kingstown when we say that we gather people into full communion with God, that we would be for God and for the world. 
And so we desire that. We ask that you would make us those people, God, that you would remind us of your wish for us so that we can make that wish a reality. We remember, God, that today is 9-11. And the deep uh, burden, the strings that feel like they hold us and weigh us down, anyone who lived in this area, anyone who has a memory of that day, anyone who's scarred by that memory, we, we remember those. But we also remember any person in this room who also feels like they've got strings attached, like they feel, they feel somehow like they are just actors in some thing that they don't know what their meaning and purpose is, and, and they definitely don't feel like they've been free and like they've come alive. God, begin to chisel at them. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. There is peace at the table.